Today's chat is brought to you by Loot Crate. Save 10% on any new subscription at www.trylootcrate.com slash FFC. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for episode 114 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on December 29th, 2017, over on twitch.tv slash Chat. Big shout out to our live chat here. Thank you so much for joining us for another evening back in the tower. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who has, had, has been said to have the voice of a flower and the internet speed of AOL, Justin Sane. I, I don't even, what, what is your name this week, actually? Because you didn't change it. I'll think of it mid-show and completely okay. screw and, and like, up. just, like, screw everyone up? Okay, so, anyways. How's the data connection treating you this week? Um, yeah, so um, I'm streaming at up to 2.5 megabits a second, and that equals times 1,000 divided by a thousand times the <laughs> the the inverse sign of the the tangent and it's slow it's slow <laughs> pins pins check my math check my math please. i really want somebody to draw this math out <laughs> and just send a tweet of like sharpie math and then it equals it's slow science why do why do I feel like this would turn into like a, a corkboard conversation? Yes, where it's just lines of of things going from place to place. Anyway, what is is it the, the always sunny in, in Seattle? Isn't that the? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh well, we also have with us the one and only Green Eye Music Lover. Green, hope you're doing well. Um, staying warm, I hope. It's warmer here than it is where you're at. Yeah, that's true. We don't have snow right now. I hate you a little bit for that. It's supposed to have the Arctic winds coming in on Sunday for us. They gave us us the forecast for tomorrow. We have been been warned to take warm clothes wherever we go if we leave the house. That and just have blankets in the vehicles just in case. If my forecast ever involves Arctic winds, I'm going somewhere else. (laughs) In a good run, we're done. You're fine. You're you're south of the point. No, if your if your forecast ever involved Arctic winds, there would be a lot to worry about. Let's just be honest. There, this is true. You you might not have to worry about snakes though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's that is a benefit of Arctic winds, Justin. I don't know. Yeah, it's like is he? Mm, all of a sudden, he goes quiet. Yeah. Maybe, Wait for him. Anyway, going to get disconnected. <laughs> uh. Well, as you can hear, we also have the grizzly bearded lore master himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing tonight? I am doing. Wait, what day is it? It is Friday. It's. It's the weekend. It's, Friday. it's, it's, it's the is weekend. It Friday, finally. Okay. It's Friday. Friday. No, well, that no, little example. No, that. It, no, stop. No, step. No, full stop. Anyway, that little example is just to show you how I don't know what day it is, and I've lost track of time nearly entirely. If it wasn't for the fact that I came home, looked at my calendar, and went, "I think it's Friday." All right, <laughs> FFC's tonight. I wouldn't have known. Uh, 
so besides tired and ludicrously out of place with time, uh, you might think I'm Osiris. What? I was going to make that joke, but I didn't want to make you too vexed. What, feel older than I am? That's fine. No, I didn't want to vex you. Oh, oh. I didn't want to go for the low hanging apple of Discord. Uh, <laughs> See, I didn't. Mine at least made anymore. sense. Mine you I didn't guess. have to stretch for. <laughs> it's a fruit. It's, it's a, a low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's all right. Just, just like, just like Devrim K, I'll just give you some Vex milk, and that'll be the end of you, Dustin. Uh, I do say that was rather unneighborly of you. <laughs> well, you see. Um, I did know at some point. I did, yeah, well, yeah. Beard and I already have kind of started the chat. I don't, um, don't want to kill Devrim. Anyway. But I know, uh, Beard, you had mentioned that you did have something you wanted to bring up in the intro piece real quick that was actually actually something that happened pretty close to me mm-hmm. in, yeah, in real life. I was... I used to live there. Um, I was going to say I wanted to to wait to see where we wanted to fit it, but yeah, this is uh, this is a very big topic. Uh, so recently, there was a swatting uh, attempt that was done. If you're not familiar with the idea of swatting, basically somebody ends up calling the cops on a streamer or anything like it, and it basically ends in this quote-unquote hilarious method in which you see the guy on stream have the cops outside of the door and basically break everything down because they were told that you're like a terrorist or something else is going on. Um, A very long story short at this point, it ended uh, in somebody calling the cops and the cops showing up at home and shooting a guy. Where at this point it now is questionable how everything was going. And now again, we have to go ahead and start questioning police, this, that, the other thing. But long story short, it comes down to the fact that the guy was just there streaming. He was having a good time with friends and creators. The guy who got shot, the the guy who, so the guy who called gave them the wrong Mm -hmm. address. So the individual who has, who, who was killed had nothing absolutely nothing to do with the situation if my understanding of that is correct so right like it was a a completely third party that that wasn't involved Uh yes the 28 year old that got killed in kansas wichita kansas which Mm -hmm. yes that was not where that happened was about half mile where i used to live when i was in college which is really freaky to think about yeah yeah, and unfortunately, I picked up on it and have been trying to follow the news all throughout the day. But just even the the headline was enough for me to kind of stop at my tracks being like, I'm not streaming, but I'm a content creator enough that having this in the back of my mind is just it, it's crazy to me to think about. Uh, right. Professor Broman right, has kind say, of. Yeah. Uh, done some very good things with uh, making a video really quick, like what what you can do to like inform the uh, inform law enforcement uh, that like at this address, I do stream. So if you hear anything, that's probably what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a number of other things that could possibly like go through to protect yourself at this point. I like, guess just getting to that point where it's getting that bad. 
And uh, there have been multiple streamers that have had this happen to them. There's a reason why Gathalion has never let anybody but very close friends or people that were highly involved with Guardian Con know where he lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, beyond just... I mean, I, I don't mean to sound harsh, but beyond just common sense, too, it's you don't you don't put mm. your that's information that you just don't give out. Like, you know, it's for for is, is those of our of generation are, for well, for those in our generation, you know, it's the whole stranger danger thing, which is, you know, generationally, I think, is kind of the the change. I don't know. I don't know. I, people don't seem so concerned with it anymore, which is kind of weird for me. Well, it's beyond that. I mean, there's more ways that people can get a hold of where you live rather than just an address. Right. There's and IP yeah. stealing and all that stuff where you can figure out you can figure it out a lot of the time, oh, which yeah, is yeah. really terrifying. Right. But yeah, um Bureau, I was gonna say if you have like if you are a content creator or if you are a streamer or if you are someone who is in, I mean, even someone who is just in, com- like, who plays a lot of competitive games. I think this particular instance, I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, but I want to say it was a it was a COD dispute. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a Call of Duty so. dispute, which, you know, I, I don't mean to feed into that stereotype, but that is a stereotype for that game. Um if you're if you're in the competitive even even you know a little bit and casually you know if you do a lot of competitive game gaming you know it is something that it, it doesn't hurt to inform law enforcement hey you know this is you know what's what's going on because the situation is just it's easier to kind of be safe than sorry in that one and you know right it, Vegemite in the chat is the it's the no one would do it to me mentality. You don't want to fall into that because it's no. you know it's it's. I don't normally pref- like encourage people to be paranoid like me, but this is one of those situations in which it kind of it, it's kind of important to be a little paranoid and to think you know <clears throat> think a little bit outside of the hey I'm safe in my bubble kind of mindset. All right. Which is which is not I I hate having to say that I hate even having to bring that up but you know mm-hmm. it also kind of goes back to I think it was a few weeks ago when we were talking about you know the the salt in the community and how people are getting so bent out of shape it's like I mean again if you're if you're to the point where you're you're going through the pain of hunting down someone's address to call the cops on them I I just kind of question you know is that 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 has transcended. That's trans. Going... Is that, that's transcended the enjoyment of a video game. You know, yeah. that's. You, I mean, I don't know. You gotta you gotta pull back at that point and start asking yourself questions like, what exactly is it that you're doing this for? What's your what's your end goal behind it? Because if it is just to cause somebody a lot of grief, there's is there a lot of need need for it? Like seriously, right. it's just. Yeah. Especially when it ends up being a situation like this. Well, and I mean, there's there's already. I mean, I I'm following the story just because I I just want to know how this is. This is not going if this is not going to end well for the individual no. who who did this. Um, there's already a lot of like there's there's already very severe punishment 
being discussed just yeah. even by the news outlets about stuff. And yeah. granted, they're not they're not experts on the law or anything like that. But, you know, I, I would not be surprised if if this gets punished fully. Yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, it's just not going to be a good time oh, for this guy, period. But sorry, Justin, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and if this appeals to you or you think this is funny or um, I, I, th- I just think you need to take a step back and, and realize that these these people are they're not NPCs in a game. These are real people with real lives, real bank accounts, real people depending on them for their income. I mean, this these are real people. Like when they're not streaming for you, they're walking around the earth, you know, just trying to live their life. So, and it's not just streamers too, though. That's the thing mm -hmm. is like, there's, there's a lot of people who get swatted who are, you know, like you, you never would have heard of them except they got put in the news because, you know, they got, they got swatted. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the, uh, dancing for in chat says that he, if he were, if, as far as he knows, like just even if you get caught for swatting, you get 20 years. Yeah. It's, and, it's and because I mean, and, and, and again, it's, it's because you're, you're tying up security resources. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, it, it's a legit thing. Don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. Like it's just, it's yeah. not worth it really. But, um, so yeah, I knew, like I said, I knew beard, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about that and it's, it's a valid thing. If you guys have any questions or, you know, you want to know more about, you know, what you can do to protect yourself or anything like that, definitely feel free to reach out to any of us. Um, I encourage you, uh, like beard said, uh, bro, man, I think bro, man, he did do a YouTube video, right? He put yes. together a video of it. Okay. One of I his saw, very I saw, rare ones. Yeah. I, I saw his tweet, so I but I didn't know if he I didn't see the tweet about the video, so um, yeah. definitely give that a look if you're at all curious. Or like I said, we're always our our doors are always open to anyone who wants to to chat about anything of that nature. Um, but where I know I'm looking forward to let's you know move into move into tonight's discussion. So looking forward to diving into the discussion. I know the team is here as well, but let's run through our standard intro notes real quick and then we'll get right into it. Our topic for this week's chat is going to be a look at the books of sorrow. Before we jump into that, however, I do have a few housekeeping notes to run through. In our last chat, we discussed the dangers of artificial intelligence within the Destiny universe. If you ever miss an episode and would like to catch up, please be sure to check out the new FocusFireChat.com for archives, articles, and links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing, as well as helping us continue to grow. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network, links of which can be found in our show notes or on our website. 
Podcasts focused on Destiny include Guardian Radio, the first and longest-running Destiny podcast on the net, Guardian One, a Destiny group dedicated to Guardians helping Guardians and discussing current Destiny news and happenings, Ghost and Echoes, which is a collection of the Destiny audio grimoire from Destiny One, and the network's newest edition, This Guardian Life, a podcast from the casual Guardian's perspective that highlights all Guardians, large and small. We do also have a non-Destiny-focused podcast, The Enthusiast Life which is a podcast that discusses a wide range of fun topics from within the entertainment world. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on the Hive siblings, so be sure to weigh in on the poll this weekend to let us know what topic you want to discuss after that. Links to that poll can be found on either Twitter, at FocusFireChat, or within our Discord server. I asked Green to put together a high-level summary of tonight's topic, and this is what she had to say. The History of Three Sisters the heirs to the Osmian throne were betrayed by their very teacher. In the Books of Sorrow, we gain insight into the perspective of our own enemies and how they ended up in a Faustian deal that pushed them to their greatest achievements, as well as their demo- Well, maybe. From Teox and the Helium Drinkers to the Leviathan and the Dead Worm, the three sisters depend on each other for survival as well as comfort in their quest for vengeance. In what we have of the book so far, there lies five verses, arcs almost to the story. 1. Youth 2. Worm Gods and the Fall of the Leviathan 3. Near Defeat and a Desperate Act 4. To Hell and Back 5. The Gift Mast each of the verses have subsets to each verse, and the stories are not as clear-cut as I'm attempting to summarize. But the idea that infuses them all, sword logic, and the quest to prove yourself the sharpest blade. The Books of Sorrow are both a history and a blueprint to many answers and debates in Destiny. Before we jump into the information and thoughts that the community had about the Books of Sorrow, however, let's take a look at this week's Lost Lore. So we actually have two things for Lost Lore this week. Um, I have one that is regarding a, a term that I've seen a lot of questions about in regards to the Books of Sorrow. And then Beard and Green have um, a current event that occurred recently uh, that they're going <laughs> to talk about. They're, they're, they're very excited about. Um so real quick, I'm just going to knock mine out real quick. Uh, it's just actually a definition. Um, I we see I've seen a lot of people ask this, both from new, newcomers to the Destiny series and also people from Destiny One. This was a very common question when we saw this term. Um, Ayat, Ayat, um, A I A T. It is a term that is used quite often in the Books of Sorrow and generally with the Hive in in general. Um, so. A lot of people ask, "What is this? Like, what? What? Why is this something that you know doesn't make any sense?" Um, 
and so there's there's a couple different ways to view it. Uh, some some will argue that it's a, what's called a lacuna, which is basically a lexical gap in in the translation from the Books of Sorrow to English or human language in in the Destiny universe. Um, others can others will argue that it's what's called an autological word. Uh, this is a word that basically describes itself. So an autological term uh, is what it is, or the word it's like a uh, wet. Wet would be an autological term. Um, not not a t a t at at at. I like that at at. Sorry, chat no. chat's making fun of me. No no. Um, no. Uh, so what what actually the definition is, and this is from Seth Dickinson who who wrote the Books of Sorrow. He says this is it, and its purpose is expression. Its meaning is the invocation of what it is. Its mission is to draw the mind, draw in the mind and make an incision of curiosity and to be that incision, which is a question and its own solution to make one hunger for an answer whose answer is its own wanting. I at this is it. It is that utterance. Um, and then we actually do see a, a bit of a nod to it from within the books of sorrow itself. Uh, they, they say, uh, and I think this is also talking about the final shape. Um, they define it as it is a fire without fuel, burning forever, killing death, asking a question that is its own answer entirely itself. Uh, and that's, that's an end quote. Um, so, so that's, that's what it is. It's a term that is meant to make you think about the term. And that is its point is to to per, to pique your curiosity so that your curiosity becomes piqued. Have fun with that one. Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly, Justin. <laughs> yes. Sorry. The static peak. But it's so sorry. your interest. Yeah, and, and 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 as far as that it, it also reminds the way I view it too is is I do kind of see it as a lacuna um in the sense that the books of sorrow we like in game in the game world we recovered the calcified fragments and then Ikora and Eris worked together to translate those so that we would be able to read them the books of sorrow well, which which we will definitely talk about that a little bit also themselves have uh potentially different translations and meanings. Right. And when it's used in the books of sorrow, it's more of a kind of like a call. Well, I view it as kind of, it's not a, it's not an invocation. It's it's, it's also kind of more like an amen, like an amen. Right. Like I, I actually view it more like hallelujah because amen is very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, amen means I believe, but right. But this one's more like an exclamation. It's more of a anything. celebratory statement. Yeah. 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 I can see that. I'll, I'll, I can see that. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Sure. So anyways, that, that was my, my little contribution to lost lore. And I'm going to kind of give way to a conversation, which I have been told repeatedly they could do an entire show on. We could, I could, I could do a whole show on this. I, I could. Um, I think we should preface this though that and Beard, I I know Justin Justin's take on it because Justin and I had a nice long conversation about this before the show even started. But 
would you say that we don't condone how this was released? Not in the slightest. Um, but as far as Beard and I go, as and I, I know Blue was a musician, and I know Justin plays as well. As a musician, the music of the Spheres, which was released this week it, through a leak, um, illegally, by the way, mm. not not legal in w- any way, shape, or form. And I know there's a conspiracy out there that this is Bungie actually releasing it hmm. to kind of pacify the community. I don't necessarily believe that, considering that um, they've had this under wraps and could have used it many times. So they they could have profited off of it. They could have released it in some other realming. They could have had a big to do or big release about it. They chose not to. They they just leaked it after we've been screaming for it for this long. Highly doubtful. Highly right. doubtful. Right. But as far as the music itself goes, the music of the Spears, which was written by Marty, what was his last name? Uh, O'Donnell. Marty um, O'Donnell, who, along with Michael Salvatore and Paul McCartney, yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. It is 50 minutes long of some of the best classically written music i've heard in a long time absolutely i I was forced to listen to a lot of classical music in college (laughs) as a teacher so i could go into all sorts of lore about why it's so significant beyond just the fact that they're using a lydian scale with a flat seven Mm -hmm. which there's a whole bunch of lore that goes into that and music history that goes into why that's significant Um, it's used not only in the fact that each key for each of the pieces, each of the segments of this piece are within the scale Mm -hmm. using C, D, E, F sharp, G, A, and B flat back to C, which would be the Lydian flat seven scale. It's also using what's called a mystic chord, which is a chord based off of tritones. Yes. And that is a significant piece of music history. Because Tritones was considered the devil's interval, it was actually banned for being written. And when it was initially started to be introduced, um, it was through the Russians Mm -hmm. who started introducing it. And particularly one one in particular who was very mystic. And him and his other contemporary, Stravinsky. Mm hmm used it quite a bit. Now, most people, if you were music theater, you might know the tritone as the interval for the song Maria. Bum, bum, that first deal. Bum, bum. That is a tritone, the interval. It's used a lot in this piece, Music of the Spheres, which is very dissonant and unresolving. You don't know where it's going to go which is leading you to feel like you can't actually get a resolution. A lot of music that we play has an obvious ending, and you can almost sing along to any song on the radio because there's no surprise. This piece of music leaves you guessing. Boy, that sounds familiar. All over the place. Anyway, I could probably go on this for a long time, and I'm going to not because this gets into some of my background and we <laughs> well know i'm gonna say and it's it, it's really easy to do like the 
easy to do with the knowledge behind it, I should say. Uh, mm. Just the just the ideas that are kind of presented within the actual music pieces themselves does, like you said, it kind of ties back to the lore. It ties back to, you know, the kind of stuff that we're seeing through uh, even even topical with today with like Books of Sorrow and everything. Uh, everything kind of ties back to what the main theme was. Right. That it was so that main theme was so tied together within the initial either original or even some of the uh, stuff that's left over here from our, uh, our current version of destiny that just makes you go, okay, this was their, their plan, even down to the music. It all tied back to it, uh, which I, which I love. Right. Uh, I've on a, on a slightly different note though, have compared it to uh, Gustav Holt's uh, the planets and a lot of people are familiar with at least listening to Mars. One of my mm. favorites, my absolute favorites out of the uh, Music of the Spheres and Holtz was Jupiter. And both of them here, just absolutely excellent. Mm. Bo- both pieces are different in their own right. They are they're made in different time periods where one is accepted by uh, different methods of writing versus another, obviously. But this this version of the planets by Marty O'Donnell, Michael Salvatore, between the couple of them, between the entire studio, it just the significance behind writing it the way that they did was absolutely uh, to me perfect. Mm-hmm. And besides the the lines that are uh, kind of taken from what Holtz had and placed into these pieces. Uh, it, it just harkens back to a different time of what they were either trying to do or what they were working to do. Uh, it, it all just, it, it flows way too well. Like, way too freaking well. So, uh, fun fact. Yeah. Uh, Holst actually learned a lot of the stylistic stuff that was used in The Planets yeah. from Stravinsky, who right. learned it from uh, Scriabin, right. which is the name of the guy who originated the Mystic Chord. Right. And he was the one who he and Stravinsky were kind of contemporaries of each other. Mm-hmm. But and, yeah. I, and I can't, I can't help but think that there wasn't significance in needing to like name all of them. I mean, they're noting and granted destiny. And I've taken note of this as well throughout like a few, uh, a few different things that I've covered, uh, you know, long story short, the solar system is the important uh, feature basically of destiny. Like we're trying to take it all back. Uh, the, the solar system is what they are trying to otherwise uh, denote and mark for us here within the, the music of the spheres. It's just, I, I just hearkening back to the title and the name, hearkening back to the names that they have within the, uh, within the titles and everything. Like it all ties, ties in so well with what we know of destiny, calling uh, the Rose Mars uh, the Ruin, Venus. I've just got the, the titles of the songs here because I'm mm-hmm. totally not listening to it right now. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. The uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. The biggest thing, though, that uh, always kind of like really screwed with my head, the initial, uh, uh, what is it? The initial soundtrack that they had released, 
they always had these things like the excerpt from the ecstasy mm -hmm. excerpts mm -hmm. uh, from the path. I, I always thought that these were like little things to say, well, these were songs that like harken back to a different age within destiny. And then I, I end up coming to find out that no, these were the titles of the original songs. So they were, they were at least taking these bits and pieces and still implementing them into uh, the game. I know that's been a hot button yeah. topic for some people, but I would argue and, and seriously come back to say that it still does respect what they were trying to put together. They're not throwing it out. They still wholly respect it, at least to some degree. Right. And as far as the, the tie-in, it's not canon. Mm -hmm. It was never released with the game. It was nope. never released by Bungie or Activision. Nope. So you can't necessarily consider it as canon. But as far as a an sketchbook of mm -hmm. the initial idea being pulled together, Blue, I posted that in chat the other day and you ignored mm. it. Um, I was busy. Uh-huh, sure you were. <laughs> I, I knew you during would the week, During the week. Topic. Oh yeah, he's no. busy for me a lot too. Yeah, well, that's a different kind of busy. What? <laughs> I thought this was a PG show. Yowza! <laughs> Speaking of hot button topics, anyway. Anyway. Wow! 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 Yeah, and there are a lot of things that we can ex extrapolate from the piece in and of itself. Listening to it, we could we could pull it into Destiny because yes, the themes are still in Destiny. There are very few motives, which are like little sound bites from the original piece mm -hmm. that are not somewhere in the game, either in right. D one or D two. It's still there. They're still using a lot of it, but the whole of music of the spheres in and of itself is not destiny anymore it's not canon it's a good sketchbook to see what they used as far as the pulling everything together and mm -hmm. getting an idea for what they want and you can tell this piece is a labor of love oh yeah i was i was telling this to justin is like when a composer for any sort of production is being pitched they pitch ideas constantly to mm -hmm. whoever is in charge because writing out a piece of music like this takes a long time. It's hours yes. and hours and hours. And so you're not going to sit down with the entire piece and pitch it to them and then have them throw it away. No. So Well, and, and you can almost hear that. if uh, I, I had to remember from, uh, not to, to jump in, sorry, Green, uh, no, with no the Black Garden uh, the thing that almost like really almost ticks me off is the union because it is used uh, during that last fight almost in its entirety. But it's so good. Um, it's so good. But it's like the only time you hear it and they don't include it on the main soundtrack. And it well, drives me nuts because I've been trying to like find that specific part again. Right. And then you end up getting this one. But but yeah, my my sorry. My big point is with this, even though Activision did not go with it, that this is a piece that Marty wrote with a lot of love and a lot of intent for himself. Yes. He finished this for himself. It wasn't necessarily for Destiny. It wasn't necessarily for Bungie. It was for him to finish. And yes, he was part of the studio at the time. 
And when Bungie decided not to go with it, that which is their total prerogative, Activision and Bungie, it's their prerogative to get away from it. But, um, yeah, you're fine, Blue. Blue's like apologizing to me, which is kind of a nice thing and cha- nice change. But uh, what's that? What's that feel like? It's. <laughs> I don't. I can't describe I so many it. Words, it's like, but I don't have enough beeps. The, I don't have enough beeps in the. Yeah, live in the dream, dream. It's like um, umami, kind of like it's undescribable, but it's awesome at the same time. Anyway. Hi. Hey. Hi. 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 But uh. Yeah, that's the the biggest uh, I think shame of it in a way is just because they. Like the uh, music of the spheres, the problem was is that it wasn't like it was partially released to us because we had the concert that I think played over most of it. Uh, we knew that it existed from a number of different avenues, but of course we never had the chance to actually listen to it. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other soundtracks that are out there that we will never ever in our lifetime be able to listen to because they are held behind some other kind of embargo. Music right. of the Spheres is just a really weird case, and I don't hold that against absolute anybody mm-hmm. when it comes to either release or anything like that. Like, again, and, I, and I'm not going to say, you know, go listen to it, but it's, it, it's solely out there. Uh, just, you know, you, you could find it, um, but you should probably not listen to it at all, like I'm the, doing right now. The the big thing is is stealing music because it's behind a thing is still not right. No. As far as a musician and a composer and an orchestrator, from an orchestrator's perspective, yes, I've written things that I no longer have access to because I don't own them anymore. Yes. And it sucks, but it's also part of the reality of the contract that you sign with the people that you orchestrate for or write mm-hmm. for. And so stealing that music back, even though you put a lot of time and love into it, it's still not okay. No. So, no, and if it's if it's not your music, right? Like you you have zero say as to what what is its fate. Like I've written things before that I don't want anyone to hear. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be cool, no matter how passionate someone was about if if anyone would be. You know, like if if anyone ever was hypothetically passionate about that piece of music, it wouldn't be right for them to overstep their bounds as a consumer, right? And and disseminate that like that's I, that's crossing a line. Yeah, not not everybody has the right to say, "Well, I love this; everybody else will too." You know, right. That's up to the to the artist in terms yes. of releasing. Yeah. So and. And in this case, it gets a little bit murkier because it's not quite all yeah. up to the artist because the artist is an employee of a studio and the studio sure. has, like it gets really it gets really convoluted really quickly. It does. But I, I think I think the yeah the I think the best way to proceed from the whole thing is to just say, well, it's out. It's you know it is what it is, and say it's Mar- there. and and Marty O'Donnell made it so. It's yeah. going to be amazing. So, right. it's like I say, it's there. It's a thing. It's wonderful. Enjoy mm-hmm. it while we can. However, many of us get in trouble for it, you know, go from there. Right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. If you Absolutely. want to talk more about the music theory behind it or like the mm-hmm. history of stuff, I'm sure you could find me in Discord. 
And I would be mad to talk to you about it because I love this stuff. Careful, she'll write you a book, just like I do, for everything. There's already books about the music of the spheres. That's that's true. Yes, there's a whole philosophy tied into it. Yeah, it's like it's two or three hundred years old. Oh, Pythagoras. You silly, you silly person who killed people who disagreed with you. What? Is, did, you <laughs> did you know the tritone is... Yeah. Never mind. Anyway. Yeah. Let's no, we're not, not going to talk about it. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> well, just easy. imagine we did. <sighs> so metal. So, those books so of Sparrow. Metal. Books of Sparrow. Sparrow? Sparrow. 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 Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I love Sparrows. Their pizza's amazing. Mm. I disagree, but that's okay. I mean, it's pizza. I'll go for pizza at any time. Anyway, hey. the books of Sparrow are they? Are they? Are they Latin or unLatin? Are they European or African? Can we just say what is the average wing? Beat? It is. It is more than one book of one sorrow. Books so are but are sorrow. they all carrying one coconut? No. No? Okay, anyway. I opened my mouth to say something, and I had no idea what I was going to say, but I immediately shut it. <laughs> the books like, of Scaro. The books of Scaro. We just went my, to Doctor my, Who. It's like a really tacky joke, I know. <laughs> this is what I thought of when you said that, but no. Yeah. <laughs> and I will I tell it in post-stream, so. Yeah. Yeah. What that's, is that's your favorite that's color? That's just going places we shouldn't go. All right, anyways. Oh, man. All right. So real quick, uh, the books of sorrow uh, are basically, I I would argue, to give a quick summary, are basically the scripture of the hive. Um, Specifically, and we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, um, but this is specifically for Oryx's bloodline. Uh, And we'll, we'll, like I said, we're going to we're going to definitely talk about that next week when we talk about the siblings. But um to kind of to kind of take a step back and see kind of the approach that I, I I guess I take when I look at the books of sorrow, you have to understand when I say scripture, what I mean is basically a good definition to kind of approach that word with is a text which religious traditions consider to be central to their practice or beliefs. Um, so religious texts may be used to provide meaning and purpose, uh, invoke a deeper connection with the divine, convey religious truths. Promote religious experiences, foster communal identity, and guide individual and communal religious practice. Religious texts often communicate the practices or values of religious traditions, and they can be looked at, too, as a set of guiding principles which dictate physical, mental, spiritual, or historical elements considered important to a specific religion. Most organized religions out there are going—actually, I'm going to argue all organized religions because this would be a— a guiding tenant of an organized religion are going to have scripture. Uh, It is most predominantly known in, you know, the Christian faith as the Bible. Uh, You have the Quran, you have the Torah, you have, I mean, just take your pick of an organized religion. They will have a scripture. It is not specific to any particular religion at all. Um, It is a general term. So when I say that it is a scripture of the hive that is approaching the hive in the view of the hive as a religious community. Um, and this is, this is, a, and some of you follow me on Twitter. This is where, <laughs> this is where I'm like, I get a little nervous because I have a, 
I, I tend to see things and you guys, you know, most of, you know, I tend to look at things from like a historical trivia point of view. Um, and when I read the books of sorrow, I really read a, a transcript and a historical recounting of a crusade or a holy war of conversion of the universe. Um, and this again is a touchy subject. It, it is a touchy subject in general. And again, regardless of what religion you come from, there is going to be controversial issues in the history of that religion when it comes to holy wars, uh, simply because it, it enters into the argument of a justification for violence. Um, so I'm actually, I, I actually have started to put together an article that I'm hoping to finish somewhat soon. Um, about sword logic and about the connections to uh, religious warfare within destiny and kind of how that is an interesting, interesting controversy for our, for our purposes. Um, But the biggest thing that seems to connect to me is usually in the books of sorrow is really, you know, why are, why are they important? What is, what is the importance of the books of sorrow from an in-game perspective, not not from an out-of-game perspective, because you know we can talk about the out-of-game how it how it educates us as the hive. It makes them you know a more approachable villain. It makes some um, makes Oryx more uh, relatable. Tra- yeah, yeah, tragic, relatable. Um, yeah, and so, but I mean, from like an in-game perspective, what is the importance of our characters gaining access to these books? Um, Green, I know you had you wanted to jump in on before I go too far down that rabbit hole. Well, I mean, if you ta- look at the the books by verses, each verse tends to have one type of campaign in one shape or form, whether it's conquering a whole race or it's the gaining of knowledge or it's the conquering of a different race or the war between the Vex and the Hive. I mean, each verse kind of has its own war arc. Mm-hmm. built into it almost like an individual crusade <sighs> almost almost anyway well and 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 so like, into your point earlier. right right no and and one of the and and, and and you know the prominent example of this is and this is gonna for me this keeps coming back to the concept of sword logic i think sword logic is extremely important in the universe of destiny um Mostly because at its core, it's next to impossible to dispute. Uh, it's a very simple, it's a very stark, it's a very brutal understanding of the purpose of existence. Um, and regardless of how you feel about that, the way that philosophically and socially they have built up this understanding in the religious connotations of the hive with regards to the logic of the sword, it's, it is arguably literally impossible to dispute this argument um, because it is at its base so simple. Either it's might, it's the, the might is right argument. Um, you see this a lot in uh, a lot of cultures that are very militaristic. Uh, you had a lot of instances of even Rome uh, Rome is one of the best examples of this early Rome, uh, where iron sharpens iron and you had this hyper, hyper, uh, competitive environment 
in which the mightiest rose to the top and they stayed at the top by making sure that they were always the strongest. And the instant that they weren't the strongest, they were defeated. And therefore, this entire philosophy pretty much reinforced itself in the in that community. Um, ultimately, as as you know, anyone who pays attention to midi or any form of history, Rome isn't isn't what it was. Uh, ultimately, it it falls in on itself. And there's there's a whole host of reasons why it falls in on itself. But the way Oryx describes in the Books of Sorrow, the entire concept of the logic of the sword, of the pursuit of the final shape, the the problem really resi- resides in the fact that in order to prove him wrong, you have to prove him right. That is the entire kind of paradox that is in the entire Touch of Malice quest, is that the the construction of the Touch of Malice, which is the, epi- the uh, exotic quest, in which you are required to gather the castleified fragments in Destiny 1. In order to get that, you learn that arguably you are immortalizing Oryx through the creation of this weapon because throughout the Books of Sorrow and at the conclusion of the Books of Sorrow, he makes the point that in order to be disproven, you have, you have to overpower him, which proves him right. Like it, It's... There's this, there's this, this brutal, like binary thing that is underlying all this, this logic in the sword logic and inside the books of sorrow that again, it, it's, it's very difficult to disprove. And I, I, I haven't quite figured out if it's even possible to disprove it because it's just, it's a very, very simplistic philosophy, which is actually its strength. Well, it's a you know, it's a universal philosophy. It's a very large universal philosophy. Mm-hmm, right? Just, you know the the how, how many people have come up with it in some way, shape, or form? Darwin. Uh, the I gotta say, Darwin's one of the biggest ones. Yeah, uh, and it's the, it's the a hyper. Will conquer it's, the weak. Like, right, and it's it's hyper Darwinistic, like hyper. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. and that's one of the, what when in the episode that we have about the sword logic, which was uh, episode forty-seven. Um, you know, demo and I demo, I go back and forth about this all the time. Um, Mm. because the, the thing is Darwinism is not wrong. It's Mm. just not completely correct either. It doesn't take into account some things. Um, from and, a and, completely no, natural stand, from a completely natural standpoint, not thinking emotional, not thinking philosophical, Darwinism in a lot of ways is right. Yes, but as but if you include the emotional thought and the correct. philosophical thinking of humanity, yes, it can, exactly, it, proves, it adds problems. Yes, so it, and that's and that's where sword logic starts to kind of get really. I, I hate to use the word fuzzy, but it kind of starts getting fuzzy mm-hmm. because the minute it, so sword logic, <clears throat> sword logic at its core is the idea that, you know, might is right, right? It, it, it really, it, it's a total, and, and Oryx and the Hive kind of have a, a, almost. I almost argue that they even have a perverted idea of the logic of the sword because they view, Oryx especially, views it as total violence, total aggression, right. total offensive. Um, you see this within the Taken Knight Grimoire card. 
uh, where he said, and this is actually out of the the thing that I'm putting together, but he, I, I basically say the starkness and simplicity is visible in the embracing of total violence. Uh, yet even the hive actually find this difficult, which is which to me is actually really really intriguing. Even the hive who have been in, who have been bred literally bred to follow this mentality find this concept well, hard to accept. Right, but they weren't initially along the lines of this concept in some respects because they were on the other side of the coin. Well, but with but, the temple uh, truth. And I'm not uh, thinking hive like proto like I'm thinking proto hive. Right, not right. And I I would argue that like so so the the card that I that I'm talking about the taken knight, the knights that he's talking to when he takes he so the quote is you fear death. Even as you visit nothingness on your foes, even as you gather tribute from your acolytes, you know that one day your strength will be outmatched and your centuries of slaughter will end. So you practice your guard. You call up walls to protect you. You betray the sword logic. You compromise the totality of your violence. Why protect your ground when you can take the enemies? And that's the end of the quote. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> but... My my point here is I I agree a hundred percent with you, Green. However, the argument that I would have is that the hive that he is speaking to within these these fragments and these cards, they're not proto. It, arguably, the no, only proto hive that exists are uh, Oryx, Oryx, Savathun, and Zivu. And even at that point, they're not and, proto hive anymore. C- correct, but but I mean the only the only creatures in existence right now and and arguably tau but we don't know like i I can't really include her in this because we don't know what her status is um but the thing is is that early in the books of sorrow we see the conversion of the entirety of the krill people um as well as two percent of fundament not necessarily the entirety. Well, the true that survived Tau, because Tau they, was they did there was a rebellion against. So there were right. some krill that rebelled. But the other the other kind of thing that you see also within the hive is a drastic extension of life through an unnatural and abominable means. Uh, in the books of sorrow, <clears throat> at the beginning, we've learned that the krill have a very short lifespans. It's one of it's one of the contention facts that lead to uh, the Faustian bargain, if you will, with the the worm gods. Um, is they're like we don't have enough time to do the stuff that we need to do, which is a it's a very relatable issue to humanity in general. Anybody who's mortal understands this this kind of like it's called a midlife crisis. Basically, you know, you realize that you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do or all the things that you quote unquote need to do. Um, and so that enters into this idea of a Faustian bargain, a deal with the devil, um, which is exactly what happens. And you see that with the oath that they take with the, the worm gods and they, they imbibe the worms and they, they become, they, they basically come into communion literally with the worm gods um, and then they're basically charged. They're told to take this gift and and share it. And they are literally told if they are if their gift is refused to kill them. It is it, it literally is a holy war against the races of fundament um, and fundament against multiple races, not right, just yeah. fundament races. <clears throat> well, right. Well, at first, which which right. actually kind of there's this is a really big rabbit hole. Because 
this also introduces a really intriguing aspect of sword logic. Sword logic. So it gets into, it gets into the concept of, uh, of a magical environment of a hermeneutic hermeneutics. Um, and this is kind of like this, this also starts looking at like the hypocrisy of the worm gods a little bit, but basically you see this in verse two, Verse 2.0 is when the holy war of the fundament begins. Um, and then verse 2.1, we see that 2% of fundament fall has fallen to the hive. This is where uh, the, the slaughter at Kaharn Atoll happens and Kaharn Atoll. Oh, sorry, real quick. There are 511 species on fundament. So it's a very big, big, it's a big planet. Um, so 2% of those, um. it is, that's just a not trait. Saturn, but um, right. But it's similar. To oh, it, Saturn. yes. It's similar to Saturn. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so um, how many moons are around there? Right. Definitely. But they're they're 50, also uh, Uranus would fit that same bill. Right. Uh, silly as that is. But Saturn fits the most. Same with Jupiter. Jupiter also fits that same bill. Right. Right. It's just the fact that Saturn also has 53 moons. Around. Uh, actually, so Dude. does uh, Jupiter. Jupiter fits in 52. Mm-hmm. So if the if the argument is the traveler is not there, it would have been Jupiter, yo. Oh anyway. my! Anyway, oh my! <laughs> Carrying on. I'm sorry. I hear no, space. No, no, I no. Talk about space. I, no, me too. <laughs> no, me too. That's why I have you guys here. Um, my point, my point actually is that the slaughter at Kaharn actually presents this interesting aspect of sword logic in that they gain power. Um, okay, let me. Uh, so. I don't know, or Beard, I'm assuming you're familiar with Full Metal Alchemist. Um, oh, yes. Green, are you, are you, are you, are you familiar with? Not so much. Okay, so but much. are you, are you familiar, are you like familiar on a basic level of Full Metal? I know what it is. Okay. Justin and kind of knows. Justin, Justin, you're kind of, there's, there, there is a reason I'm pulling this anime in because there is actually yeah. a foundational truth to the anime that is actually applicable in other things. And it's basically the law of equivalent exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it basically, you, you have, you cannot create, it's, it's conservation of energy. You can't create stuff. You can just convert right. it from one state to another. Right. This presents, this presents the argument that, that in my mind solidifies the idea that everyone has light. Everyone has light because the one thing that the hive crave is light. That's what they feast on. That's well, how they gain their immortality. We have right. in Grimoire explanation of that as well. Correct. When but but when the when uh, Arash talks about the other the um, the helium drinkers mm-hmm. and describes them as those who follow the light or those that are full of light or however she describes mm-hmm. them, they she considers them opposite. But they are the same race because later on in that card, she talks about how they're from likely the same event. Yes, that leads yeah, them and to there's also the, the disturbing fact that they eat the children of each other's courts, right? Um, which because... is a fun fun fact because apparently yes. that's how you pay tribute. Um, <sighs> but they also refer to the Ammonite as the wielders of the yeah, and the Ammonites also have paracausal capabilities. Yes. That and they're and they're squids or cephalopods. They have six. They have six arms. They're cephalopods. They have six arms. They I'm not even going to start as... down the spinfoil rabbit hole 
that that creates with regards to the Vex. Um, Hi, Ponin. What? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why was someone obsessed with cephalopods? Um, Oh, gee. Also, don't get me started on my theories behind that because I already have. Oh, wait. Never mind. Too late. Oh, pancake. Um, Hey, by the way, you're listening to this. It's probably too late, but I think we should record our Spinfoil episode that we're Yes, (laughs) we will. We, I, I, I already have plans on doing that. Yes. Um, okay. So Look anyway, that's been foil episode. Yes. No. Yeah. It's going to be a fun one. Um, to go, to go back, what this, what this actually presents is a really interesting concept of sword logic as being a, a degree of almost alchemy, alchemical hermeneutics. Um, and this is, and this is because it is only because of the slaughter at a, tar, a Kaharna toll that they gain the logic that is necessary to break geostationary orbit. They have to kill that many people or that many entities and take that much light in order to power the rituals that will then allow them to, to make a wound to leave the planet. That is literally what happens at that is the, that is the inf, that's the importance of Kaharn is it is at that point that Zivu's battle allows Savathun's needle ships to make a wound because they have now enough power. The entire thing is basically blood magic in, in regards yeah. to using life force to power this thing. Take um, out, now, if you're worried about like, how does that even work? Take out magic or the, the mysticism in it, and substitute science in. And if another like entity steals a bunch of, scientific research by conquering a society they're going to gain more capabilities right well and okay sorry uh yeah green that's an excellent point that actually that that yeah you're you are correct um i use the word hermeneutic alchemy because technically in the in the raw sense of those words those aren't actually meant to be 100 percent magical they are a right. form of what's called thurgy uh, and thurgy is what's the, what's basically identified as the practice of rituals that sometimes seem magical in nature but are performed with the intention of invoking the action or evoking the presence of one or more gods especially with the goal of achieving achieving what's called herosis which is unity with the divine and perfecting oneself uh, you see this within hermit, her, hermeticism, uh, which had a number with this is again, a big rabbit hole, uh, really quick. Uh, hermeticism is a, a collection of doctrines that are characterized by a resistance to the dominance of either pure rationality or doctrinal faith. So it's actually a synthesizing of the two into a, a sense of, you can't explain everything through 100% rationale or everything through faith alone. Like you have, you, you combine the two. And you see this in the early forms of our own, and this is in real world, our own uh, culture within the medieval worlds where you have alchemists and, you know, your, your theologist and stuff like that. That is actually where it is. It's called synchro- synchronistic and intellectualized pagan thought. It's predominantly in the third and seventh century AD. Uh, this is that's third and seventh, third to seventh century AD is actually identified as what's called the Renaissance of synchronistic and intellectual pagan thought as seen through hermeticism, her 
hermeticism, sorry. Um, and synchronistic, when I say that, sorry, there's a lot of these like random words. Uh, synchronous, synchronistic thought is basically the combining of different beliefs which blend different practices of various schools of thought that involves merging or assimilating several originally discrete uh, traditions, which basically gives the idea that there is an underlying unifying theme within them. And it basically blends all these and allows for the inclusion of a multitude of faiths and really kind of evens the playing field. Uh, And this is predominantly through, you see this predominantly through a lot of that that research. Um, so there, and again, like I said, large rabbit hole. I'm going to try, and that's me trying to summarize centuries of information on hermeneutic thought as far as as far as the relation to dark, the dark theurgy that I see within the hive magic. Um, but Fair that's warning. that's that's all from Kaharn. That's that's it. Like I mean, that's from one from one fragment. Right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let Green talk now. Yeah. Fair warning. As far as looking into hermetic thought, um, if you continue, if you want to research it more, you're going to find that a lot of the stuff that is on it, if you kind of dive outside of the realm of philosophy, you're going to find a lot of mysticism thrown mm. in with it, and there's been kind of a revival of it. Mm-hmm. A pseudo a pseudo revival within the last 20 years um book of secret or not book of secrets uh the secret it is a book called right. the secret was one that kind of pushed that idea the law of attraction and kind of oh the yes mysticism. yeah sorry yeah I just no see no that, worries yeah yeah no worries um it kind of pulls that in a little bit more in a less what most people would consider paganistic type style mm-hmm. mission boards and stuff like that but it's still using that same principle anyway yeah that's and, one card I mean, right yeah sorry and and just to kind of back back up a little bit as well um fair warning if you do start looking into hermeneutics and you know her- hermeticism and theurgy it, 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 go into it with the awareness that there are it, it transcends into darker things somewhat quickly as well um, and so this is just me kind of being like, don't, don't go into it thinking that it's just going to be academic stuff because it's not, it's the nature of this type of, this type of blending of the supernatural and the rational. Um, there are some, some aspects which might make mm, normal people, I guess, or most people uncomfortable. Um, and that is not the aspect of what I'm talking about here. I'm actually kind of referring to the philosophical side Mm -hmm. of it. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy. I'm yeah. I mean the, the ritualistic kind of, it's embedded in the philosophical, but if you just focus, like if you don't stay on the philosophical side, you can get drawn into a very dark place is what I'm saying. If you, if you start following the ritualistic for the ritualistic, there's, there's some dangerous, there's just some dangerous things that you can find. And it's just uncomfortable things is also really what it is. Um, but I'm more than happy to chat with anybody about it. So just go into it being aware. Yes, Yes, exactly. Justin. 
Garth Brooks of Sorrow. When did that happen? Uh, he he did warn us, to be fair, that he was going to change his name in the middle of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Man. I think he's ignored. There, he didn't he folks. didn't push to hear, so you he can't hear us. No, oh, there no. he is. There's a there's a myriad of menus to go through to do this push to talk thing. You want? <laughs> 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 no, no. Uh, I think also, uh, well, the point I wanted to make was um, we we assign rituals to things. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's a there's a tangible effect of said yeah of said ritual upon in in terms of cause and effect, um, and uh, we don't really the the hive live in a world where. Um, their will and their their execution of this of this you know of this logic this sword logic actually exerts a physical force upon things um, in our in the world we're most um, acquainted with our logic is nothing more than a thought exercise that you know, you know it's it's more it's more a symptom of what physically happens in the world as opposed to being a, a root cause of things happening. Um, whereas the, in the hive world, in the hive world, uh, the logic in and of itself is a physical force. Um, and I just wanted to kind of, I mean, you can assign ritual to it, but whether or not that ritual is what's actually empowering the physical forces to move in their world or whether it's the the logic that is the underpinning um, physical law in their in their universe is yet to be seen. The one thing that I've always kind of attributed this to is the idea of kind of creating your own reality by mm-hmm. you can wish something so 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 much. You see this with the placebo effect. You think it's going to work. You believe it's going to work if you are one of the candidates that doesn't actually have whatever the real medicine that you have to placebo. You can create that own reality in some Mm. respects. It's somewhat similar. There's not necessarily mysticism brought upon by it. It's more of the you're working towards it. You are making it happen, even if you don't realize you're making it happen because you're taking steps to make it happen. That is my my non uh, mysticism take on it. Yeah, I, but the hive seem to transcend psychosomaticism. So, like, that's that's almost the the whole sugar pill fallacy is is an instance of your neural network in your brain making something real for you. Because right. what you experience is down to a, a set of bioelectric signals that are being experienced by you. But how do you experience them? You experience them with bioelectric receptors, and 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 you know your whole you know your whole neurological system. Uh, so that can be faked out and lied to. What can't be faked out and lied to is third-party perception and um, observation of 
you know, physical for physical forces by an unbiased third party, the third man. Like, um, that's <laughs> that's where the hives start to go into. Yeah, yeah you like that? I know you like that. Um, <laughs> that's where. That's for you, Blue. That's, <laughs> that was for Blue. Um, that's where the hives start to go into La La Land, or you know, that's where that's where it starts to to make a very real break from what from what we have experienced as being possible. Um, but yeah, that's that's a very good point about about the placebo effect. Now, here's a question: Does the the route that the hive take make them evil <laughs> or not evil? Because are they just a product of their environment or and other influences? Because it's not just environment, it's other influences because of that stupid dried up little anyway. Um, or are they actually, do they have a source of evil within them? Oh, where's Dama? <laughs> oh, I'm getting yelled at in chat. So, this is weird. Oh, so, so <laughs> it, I'm gonna say my piece and I'm gonna be quiet. Um, for something to be evil, it it has to it has to know that that what it's doing is in contradiction with good with good moral standing, and and it has to know that what it's doing is wrong. Um, a shark can't be evil because a shark has no idea. It has no, no concept of right or wrong. Um, okay. So I'm going to, we going to fight. We going to fight. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. Fight, fight, fight. Um, Real quick before we fight. Yes. Take take a moment real quick. Do it, Um, do it, do it. <clears throat> Green's so proud of me. I remembered I to do it this time. You did. Um, real quick. Yeah. Uh, real quick. I wanted to just take a moment to give a big shout out to the Loot Crate, who is actually sponsoring this episode. So as a part of Focus Fire Chat community, you might have noticed that we all have a tendency to have a bit of an obsession with all basically all kinds of geek gear. We even have a channel dedicated to that. Um, and so as a, as part of the, the community, Focus Fire Chat team would like to offer you a chance to experience that kind of adrenaline rush, that rush of getting a goodie package yourself by offering you 10% off any new subscription to Loot Crate. All you have to do is visit www.trylootcrate.com slash FFC and then enter the promo code BRIDGE10 and you'll get immediately 10% savings off that new subscription. Um and that is a monthly subscription package. I don't actually know. I don't. I don't remember if I've seen the January theme just yet. But I know I that. Either. Have you? Have you? No, I have not. Okay. Um, I know that I was just the thinking I wore recent my Harry Potter socks. Oh, the Harry Potter socks. Yeah. Um, the recent Destiny one apparently had amazing content in it. So definitely, definitely keep a keep a lookout for that as well. They do a lot of video game stuff. They actually have an entire loot box dedicated to video games. That is pretty phenomenal. But OK, so so Garth Brooks is over here yelling at me about the relativism of good and evil. Okay, so slip where, where, where did we leave that? Where did we slope. leave off? The hive are sharks. The hive are sharks. Okay, so 
Morality. Shark missile. Morality shark is dependent. <laughs> shark missile. Wait, Why mora- don't we bring dragon's breath into this? Oh, <laughs> I missed that gun. Um, so, is morality dependent on the context of the social standing of the item, person, animal, being? Is morality the same across all boards, or is it dependent on where you're at and who you are? I think everyone should get equal time with this one, so I'm going to yield the floor to the congressman from Kansas, Mr. Blue Crew. Hey, hey, so by by your argument, and Psychotic's already picked up on this, by your argument, though, snakes are not evil. For me, I, by my argument, I generally no, 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 Justin. I, I actually, I can explain this away. I, <laughs> so, uh, I, I will still. I don't want you to waste your time with this. I want you to go with your own thing. So you know, I would just like to state that that doesn't surprise me in the least <laughs> that you could explain away the difference. I would just like to explain that now. I would like to know Carry how he's going to explain away the difference because this gets to the you know what? matter. I would too, because realistically, I think that that's going to cover every every different like way that this goes about it. Mm-hmm. So you know what, Justin, Justin, go open your mouth, go for it, unhinge your jaw, and speak oh, to us. Oh, oh, that is a that's bad a, image. That was a good one, Boo Boo. Hey, you're very welcome that, there. That, that, that was a call that's to the cuckoo. Bad hey, I, I hear the ranger coming. We better run. Okay. So, objectively, I do acknowledge that snakes, with, with their mental capacity, are incapable of evil. Um, that's me being objective and rational. And, and this is, you caught me. You caught me at a rare moment. You caught me in a rare moment. Um, but thank God, but, it's recorded. Yes, yes, yes. They, they see. This is where um, objectivity and subjectivity become. It, it, everything gets blurred. Okay, because snakes are one hundred percent. Snakes are one hundred percent capable of acts that without the without the gift that is objectivity um, are completely 100% able to be you know classified as evil um, a snake bites a little uh, you know a little baby kitten in the face and the kitten dies like how could you possibly not look at that snake and say you are so but the snake is not capable of being immoral, which, I, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of the word evil. But when when I define evil or it's it is what it is for everybody. You know what I mean? Like everybody defines evil a little bit different. And, and but for me, it all comes down to immoral. And if the being perpetrating the the you know, subjective evil act is incapable of a moral system. Um, then, then that that being can't be evil. So, like I said, a shark is incapable of being evil. You know, like a shark, you know, chewing up 
some some poor little surfers. That's not evil. That's nature. Like that that is that's base instinct working. That's that's hunter. Um, so y- you can say that at one point the hive the hive did have morals. They had a moral code which they adhered to. But all that got thrown by the wayside when they took on the worm pact. So they they essentially um, installed a tool that reinforced their their based in their base instinct of survival. So at that point, everything everything about their actions became an an issue not of morality anymore, or whether I should do this, or whether I shouldn't do this, or whether this would be you know bad or good. It became a matter of um, I do this, I live. I don't do this, I die. I kill this, I live. I don't kill this, I die. So we've actually reduced a sentient race, uh, you know, a, a race capable of higher thought, down to a base level of survivalism. And in in that reduction, we've we've kind of removed morality from the argument. And the hive, as we meet them in D one vanilla. When they all come rushing out of the hallway, which is, by the way, one of my favorite parts of a video game ever, because I did not expect it, um, is what we have done there is we've we've taken morality out of the out of the equation. So, I mean, unless unless someone I mean, unless you guys define evil differently than I do, the hive are not evil because by their own standards, by their by their own morals, they are not doing anything wrong. They're following the laws of nature. Okay, so we got there. We got. We got Sorry to, about that. No, 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 no. We got to the where I was wanting to kind of get your opinion on the fact that they, the hive, were ramped up to essentially the the nature version of themselves they're following their own nature to their own detriment at this point i'm speaking primarily of the three oryx zavathun and zivu their worms are making them be hyper 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 uh their own nature so evil in and of itself is kind of a it's a perspective sense, right? Everything that is perceived as evil is perceived by evil in one stance, and it's perceived as not necessarily evil by another based off of their own situation and nature and whatnot. The hive, the hive commit somewhat evil acts with how they interact with us, but the hive themselves are not evil. I do not think they made some poor judgments, but they're kind of tied into their own deal. They're tied into their own stigma and path. Unfortunately, now thanks to uh, Sathona originally kind of listening to a dry rotted old worm that is really messed up. But I don't think necessarily that they're evil in and of themselves. They're just following their own path, even though their own path is really messed up and ends up with the annihilation of the universe and making everything 
nil. Okay, Blue, your turn. <clears throat> All right. Um, where to start? I beginning. Yeah, I know. Um, this goes back into verse my, one one. Yeah, verse one one. Let's start at the <laughs> beginning. Um, no, I think I think the the biggest thing to me when it comes to the question of if the hive as a general species is evil is first off I'm going to state as a generalization. I really argue or I really feel that you can't stereotype an entire race. Um, right. It's it's very difficult. Uh, Considering you to, don't know the motivations of the right, entire race. Right. And there is a degree of what Justin, I think, is arguing as far as the current state of the hive in their symbiotic form. Um, there, there, And the reason why is a lot of there, – there's a lot of in, impact within – the diffusion of responsibility, you know, any, anyone who knows any basic sociological studies or psychological studies of like Milgram, for example, um, will probably recognize this. This is very similar to what was seen within Nazi Germany, uh, as far as like following the orders of your leader, it, it come, it begs the question of do the people who follow the orders, are they morally responsible for their actions and to a degree, I would argue, yes, they are, but there's also a degree of also the survival of the individual within that society that you have to take into context. Um, there's the problem that I have ultimately with the hive is that from what we've seen so far, the the argument that a creature can't be evil if it is just following its baser instincts, I have a large issue with. Um, because when you say something's not evil, that also then begs the question of, can you punish it for immoral acts or malevolent acts? Um, it's a malevolent act, only malevolent because of the perspective of the person who is, it is against. Does it matter? I think it does. If harm is done, harm is done. Harm is done to a specific race or anything like that. Is it harm if it's for the nourishment of the other race? Is that a malevolent act? It's the shark argument again. It, It is. The difference here is that a shark doesn't have a higher degree of sentience that the hive does. And the hive is – we have seen repeated members of the hive argue and debate with themselves whether or not the sword logic is the one or true – one true path. Um, right. The, the difference here is like do I believe – so I, I agree 100% with Justin's interpretation of animalistic – I don't even I, I really hesitate to even call it violence, though. There's not really a good term for it. Um, but animal animal violence towards even other animals uh, to a large degree. I mean, taking abnormalities out of the picture, like the manhunters and stuff like that. Generally speaking, there is a reason for any attack that an animal performs. Um, right. You see that a lot with, you know with dogs uh, and even horses, uh, which are the two animals that I'm very familiar with because I grew up basically training those for shows. And I also grew up on a ranch. So we, we had a lot of those animals around us. Um, and, and there was never a time in which we had an animal that just went out of it. I mean, it's, except for copperheads, but they're, 
abnormalities. Um, we never really had animals that would like. Yeah, copperheads just need to be killed on site. They're still, uh, it's still out of defense while they strike. Uh, having a copperhead come across a pasture to chase after you, I beg to differ. But but that's Gross. yeah, no. It, I I copperheads are the one thing, one snake that I will agree with you on. Snakes are evil assessment, Justin, because I've just yeah. Evil. But like, but they're dogs, they're they're not evil, but they're just they're. They're just they're, they're hyper aggressive, is what they are. They're the ultimate they sneaky snack because they're the they ultimate sneaky. Yeah, gods. because copperheads look like sticks, and they're really and good they at that game. They're really good at hide and seek. It's time to bite. <laughs> they're really good at hide and seek. Um, but no, but like dogs, like you know, take dogs for example. For for a large for a large percentage, you know, and you you'll you'll quickly pick up on this if you ever talk to my brother about pit bulls. Um, a large percentage of dogs actually don't, they're not violent by nature. They're, they really aren't. Mm. Um, they've been, now there are particular dogs that have been trained to be hyper violent. There are particular breeds that are more inclined to be violent, but that is artificially imposed Enhanced. on them. Yeah. And, and so, but like we, we had growing up, we had a lot of dogs that by society, definition would should not be safe to have around kids and they were the the friendliest dogs that we had like they were the most protective of us and and so what we've seen a lot just as for our personal experience is that yeah no if you treat if you treat animals on a on a level that the animal understands what's going on they're not going to be violent to you there's no there's no un like there is no unprovoked violence as far as an animal is concerned there is always a reason for that violence and that is at its core you can't say that an attack in that nature if you corner an animal and it attacks you and it you know mauls you you can't say that that's an evil action on the animal's part right however if you corner a human being that's where it gets a little bit dicier because there's the there's the degree of sense of forethought and the sense of the idea of if I do this, you know, it, it's the it's the argument of like self-defense is one thing. But at what point does self-defense become too much? You know, are you talking about from this perspective of the person being cornered? Yes. I would argue still that the person being cornered, if the real threat of being cornered is not something they're familiar with, children, for example, who are not used to other people, other strangers cornering them, they, I think they have every right to fight back against Oh, no, 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 no. Fight back, yes. I, I am not, I am, please, okay, let me, let me but like, clear the air it's real still, it's If you corner someone... Yes, it's it is a, a threat. threat. My point here is that okay, so there and understandably there's a huge difference between, you know, myself and my 4-year-old. You know, yes, if if this makes me super uncomfortable, but if someone were to corner him, I have I mean, I've told him, you fight with every ounce of your strength. Like you you bite, claw, kick, you do whatever you need to right. to get away from that situation. But that is an inherently different situation than let's say if I were to be cornered. Because but at the I same can... time, let me let me keep going with this. Then I'm not saying a physical reaction. If you are cornered by somebody and they have 
kind of a threat and intense. You are immediately going to start analyzing the situation to figure out whether or not it is a threat. And if it is, figure out a way to get out of it. Correct. And that's that's my point, though. That's my point. An animal doesn't have that self-awareness. An animal has a fight or flight. It's it's pure fight or flight. Humans have or and and, and when I say when I say humans, Sentience. I mean a a highly cognitive creature. There are animals who have this capability as well. A lot of apes will have this this capability. So I don't mean that in a speciest way at all. If you have that ability to identify and analyze the situation in that nature, then you are capable of performing evil acts. It doesn't matter if you were never it. It trans it, it removes the argument that yeah no 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 go go for it go for it. Well, okay, so yes, evil. My definition of evil acts is a premeditated thing without uh, provocation. If there's provocation, okay. it's a defense. It's a reaction. Um, much Correct. thinking like the hive when it comes to the initial response to uh, Teox or Teo or however. Correct. You yes. It. Yes. That entire that entire scenario, and 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 the hive siblings are entirely tragic characters. Right. Like they they are they were. Entities that were Classically placed. Tragic. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. They were put into a classical. They, I mean, they were cornered. They were put they into were. a situation that they were not prepared to handle. Um, and they made a deal that they were not, you know, fully aware of the implication. I mean, like the worm gods played them like a fiddle. Right. And, and they continue to play them like a fiddle. Right. But that doesn't negate the fact that. Doesn't it? Yes. It, no, I mean, no, it doesn't. Because there is an instant at which Oryx and the siblings made the choice to come back to the darkness. There is there is a point that Arash walked away and she could have died, but she chose to continue doing evil acts to suck the life force out of victims in order to for her to continue living. She chose her own existence over the existence of others. Okay. At that point, yes, I would agree. That point, and that's that's where I'm like, that's where I find it's tough because up until that point, I'm like, I can I can be on the fence as far as like, uh, were they truly evil or not? I'm like, uh, it it goes back into like this, like, does the soldier who follow orders is that Mm -hmm. is that truly evil? I mean, yes, technically, but given you know, given that we don't know the full context, you know, all the there's there's plenty of variables involved in that moral equation. Um, I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, but the minute that Orash walked away and then Savathun is tasked to bring her back and she comes back willingly, willingly to the point that later down the cycle in the books of sorrow, she then convinces Savathun that because then there's a later point that Savathun doubts and says i don't know if we're i don't know if this is the this is the truth and blah 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 and that's where oryx at that time oryx gives her, gives savathun coria and then also says the the really really awesome definition that basically we're the proof we the hive if we last forever we prove it and if something more ruthless conquers us then the proof is sealed so like justin has a really good point in chat 
Justin? The survival imperative. Um, the the argument I have against survival imperative is I recognize that. And if we were talking again, if we were talking about just animals, yes, that would be enough. We are not talking about just animals. We're talking about there are humans will do anything to survive as well. Well, as as uncomfortable as, as, as many people as might yell at me for this, I'm going to still say, if you will do anything to live, and and you choose to do something that grossly harms another human being just it's the it's the question of if, do you push the red button if you get if if it's a choice between pushing the red button to kill someone else or kill yourself or have yourself die if you choose to kill someone else that death is still on you you are still so responsible for that the, person's death but is that following the survival instinct at that point is it just the animalistic side of it. The point of the point the of having of, of having a sacrifice or creating your a self sacrifice for the betterment of another is that what makes something evil? All right, let me let me take a step back real quick before I continue. This is this is entirely based on my personal beliefs. So, like, obviously, I, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, I just, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm like coming at we've this. We've had from this a, talk before. Yeah. Yeah. We've had this. I know Justin and I have had this talk before too. Um, like, so like I, if I, if you disagree with me and this is actually, I, I know green beard, Justin, that's what we're doing right now, but I'm talking to people listening. If you disagree with me, um, please, I'm not belittling that. I don't mean to belittle that at all. Actually, I want to hear it because that's the point of a debate is to hear opposing sides and green is doing an amazing job playing devil's advocate. And I really appreciate it. Um, even though she's being a little bullheaded, but that's the point of devil's advocate. That's the point of devil's advocate is that's the point. Um, morality is a very slippery conversation, uh, because it is a, it is a very subjective conversation. Um, uh, yes, please. I mean, it is it, right. I mean, can we, can we all agree yeah. to that? Your definition no, yes. of, no. of there, there is no black and white in morality. That's where I want to go with it. That's where right. I want to go with it. Your Heinling quote. Do it, do it, Justin. Well, the Heinling quote is I never learned much from a man I constantly agreed with. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh, you know who we haven't heard from on this yet? And I'm curious to hear his perspective because I know blue, we could, we could debate. Oh, yeah. this we'll, we'll go back and forth forever. So yeah, let, let, <laughs> let him weigh in on this one. Beard. Mm-hmm. So inherently I'm, I'm hearing a lot of like back and forth basically with like animals and whatnot. Uh, and it, it's, it's not like just with this chat. It's, it's constant with a good majority of uh, what, what basically comes of are the hive evil uh are the hive a little bit more inherently uh discoursative if that is even a word it makes sense in my head uh the idea effectively that they they only carry out uh evil evil thoughts or that they are inherently evil i don't necessarily think that that is the case and you guys were kind of pushing on a little bit of that point that i was going to bring up uh, they are, as we see throughout the Books of Sorrow, there are more uh, species that have cognitive thought than, of course, just humanity and just the hive. 
and per that existence, that means that there are others that kind of fall within that same that same ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, if I were to just make it as a summated thought, uh, no, I don't believe that the hive are inherently evil. Overall, do I think that there is a shred in them that has kind of turned that way? I think it was more of a more of a turn that way more than anything else. It was a their actions forced them to become a bit darker. I think that's the best way that I can kind of explain it or put it. Uh, the base nature of the protohive, especially the the protohive, have. Uh, the idea is that, yes, they, they want to live on for further time, and that's where they're even pushed into this corner. Uh, Teox, Tao, however you want to pronounce it, like Green said earlier, uh, it's it's a question of that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and at least for that subsect of Hive. But in terms of how the Hive or even the other species had acted uh, on the... On fundament in general, it was more of a need of survival than it was anything else. And now they had this act that they could go ahead and get out of it, even if, as stated before, a little misconstrued or a little misguided. Uh, that's at least overall kind of my thoughts on it without really dipping into it. Uh, again, there are there are several other uh, species that do show that they are capable of cognitive thought. These guys just saw a means that they could get out of it and. Yes, it's a tragedy that I feel that overall they just needed to get out of this uh, Faustian bargain that they were thrown into, uh, and that's kind of the the whole spear uh, the 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 whole ending point of the Books of Sorrow. Uh, that last that card. So what's that? That we have so far. Right. At least that uh, that final card that we have at the moment. Uh, just effectively showcases like how Oryx or how uh, at least maybe we could look at it like the almost like the New Testament, quote unquote, if you will. And like Oryx is the the I really I'm going to make some people mad with this one, but (laughs) Oryx is kind of like the the Jesus, if you will, of the uh, high of scripture and the way that he kind of puts himself together. Because we do know that there are the other books. We do know that there's a couple other things, because we see like little hints and snippets with uh, Thorn uh, and a couple other things, and he's kind of seemingly played out of the chapters now, uh, at least of those very small snippets that are there. It seems more to now be like a codice. It's almost like how uh, Paul or Saul had uh, written throughout the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. It kind of carries into that same idea. Uh and as the far as the structuring, not necessarily the personality. So don't don't crucify right. Beard, please. Yeah, yes, please. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not <laughs> oh, God, no. Thank well, you for the and, layout, and to Justin. Be, to to uh, to be clear, too. I mean, mm. even even the Christ figure is not a unique figure. I mean, not at all. as and that's coming from me, who I'll be completely 100 percent transparent. I'm a Catholic, like. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. that, I I will be the one. What? If you're going to get mad, that's that's not a unique figure a in literature. Unique? Yeah, yeah. What? No. And I don't Ooh. mean to belittle that at all. But no. But I mean, like the no, the, the Christ the Christ figure, like that that archetype, if you will, as far mm-hmm. as a teaching process, as a teaching uh, tool within religious scriptures. You know that that is not a 
it's it's not unique. Christ himself is unique to Christianity. That's thus the yeah. name Christianity. But there is not that that type of figure is not a they don't we don't we don't have a trademark on that. Mm-mm. Well, look at the uh, religion. Now, if you I'm did, gonna you want to be rich. I just, well, no, we're not we're not going down that road. No, no, that's we're not already touching that. Okay. foresight. Okay. So yeah, I'm going to say even with like uh with like Final Fantasy VII and Eris, like that that figure has been ingrained in my head since I was little. So the the same concept applies. That's why I'm I'm okay with using that kind of idea only because it's it's a common trope mm-hmm. trope used loosely perhaps yeah uh, it, it's just the archetype. idea that archetype yeah it's the a hero's journey yep and it's oh, and God, it's a very journey. it's a it's a common thing to kind of pick up on uh, you know they they all fit into that that same kind of build uh all, all three of the sisters kind of fit into that uh that same build in a way but we don't know the possibly the other two sides of it which i think is an, another thing to kind of keep in mind with the books we only generally see what's going on with uh arash oryx oryx and that's the uh that's the big thing that i think needs to kind of be taken in mind is just like how he perceives how how he she perceives this idea uh but no uh justin you had something sorry Justin? Yeah, no, sorry. It takes no, me a moment now. It's because okay. I have to, I'm just feeling I space. To, yes, yes. Um, no, I just wanted to... Yeah, I, I mean, I do understand how the the Hive's actions and anything to do with Hive... Believe me, I'm not a Hive apologist. I've killed <laughs> my fair share of Thrall um, from Thrall McCartney all the way to Thrally Shore. I've I have completely decimated their ranks. But beard, 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 I love you. Um so Ow. um <laughs> So no, I just wanted to say that I think the the entire the the crux of this pun intended <laughs> um, crux. uh the the crux of this entire argument here lies within the the differentiation between subjectivity and objectivity. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna call back to one of my favorite games and I know I know one of Blue's favorite games and ought to be one of everybody's favorite games, but Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, you have mm-hmm. one of the archetypal most prototypical hero characters in the entire history of gaming, which is John 117, Master Chief, right? Um, he is completely selfless. He is um, com- entirely noble. And just, I mean, he is prototypical of what you would want a hero to be. Now, if you remove, if you remove the lens of subject subjectivity, which is the fact that we both share a race and are human and his success is the imperative that on which human survival relies. If you remove that 
and now view him through the lens of the forerunners. So when the flood is running rampant and John actually stops the fire, the firing of a halo array, any forerunner scholar could probably deem that as being, um, you know, maybe not evil by their standards, but wrong. Um, and then you, you want to take a, another step to the side and say, oh, a covenant, a covenant scholar could, could go back and go over those actions and, and deem them as being probably heresy and evil. So all I'm saying is that the lenses of subjectivity and objectivity can color the, can color the facts for us. And we, we oftentimes let subjectivity change the facts, which we shouldn't because the facts are the facts. That's why they're important. That's why it's that's why it's important that there are the facts. But um, I'm not, first of all, before Penn sends me hate mail, which is the worst thing I can think of happening <laughs> to me. Um, I am not. I am not comparing John to the hive. I'm not comparing Master Chief to the hive. I'm just saying that um, one man's hero is another man's villain. Um, and that that statement is true. It doesn't matter what you do. I mean, I love the the example of the of the Nazi rank and file mm -hmm. as far as are they, are they are they complicit? Are they evil? Is that evil? Is indifference evil? Is compliance evil? These are really important and not very easily answerable questions. Philosophers and, and scholars have struggled to answer these questions. So I'm, I'm not either one of those. So, you know, like I don't have all the answers, but my, my question is, my question is, is, is this complicitness implicitly evil? And I don't think it is by the strictest of definitions is my only assertion. So I yield the floor to the congressman from Nessus. From, from Nessus? Really? I don't know which one that one is. I don't know I who's from Nessus. Figure that out. Figure your alliances out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, I just had uh, at least a little bit of an extra point on it because we are arguing also uh, along the lines of like nature versus nurture as well. Mm -hmm. uh, this this constant debate, of course, between and kind of playing back towards uh, e even the ideas of like associations or organizations, they also have a natural nature versus nurture idea behind them. Is it a natural order or is it a nurtured piece of that order? Uh, the same can be effectively true of something like the hive or even if we want to touch base on that Nazi Germany. Uh, there are plenty of things that need to be kind of taken into account. And it's it's as a as a common and a very favorite phrase of mine. It's shades of gray, which in the the end of, I think, what sword logic ends up speaking on on what we even as the light speak on as even what uh, the typical ideas of the cosmos speak on 
Uh, it, it's this shades of gray idea that everything has to have this will to to live or show that it can live. Uh, what's the what's the natural cycle of a star? Mm-hmm. A star is born from a a whole bunch of dust and and uh, helium, hydrogen, so on that gets stuffed together. Uh, you end up having it where that then uh, starts to burn. And over time, you just get these fusion uh, reactions that effectively end up burning out the star. Uh, This star then, at least in the case of something like our own, will expand from that lack of energy, from expending the last bit that it can, expanding outward, screwing up everything within our solar system, and then collapsing in on itself. It still exists, but did it necessarily live to the, the fullest extent that it could? Uh, at least so our theory would go on on how this star would be. Then you look at other stars. Other stars have it where they'll effectively implode. They collapse in on themselves, and then, boom, that's it. You have others that will uh, turn into black holes. You have others that will uh, collapse in on themselves and then shoot their the last remaining bits of energy that they have outward uh, in, in a spectacular supernova. Uh, the cosmic law is is stated that it doesn't waste anything. It it effectively uses everything that it can, uh, or has used everything that it can, based on the fact that it exists and is matter within an otherwise empty supposed space. Uh, th- this is what comes down to the idea of is the universe inherently evil? Uh, as a as a further you know, talk and, and law is the because one of my favorite uh, quotes from something like a watchman, uh, Dr. Manhattan says how life is is terribly uh, uh, overrated. It is something that you don't see on on something like Mars, or at least as far as we know, uh, you don't see it on Saturn or even some of its moons. You don't see it on Jupiter. And all of a sudden you get to Earth. And you see it, and it's just this weird happenstance of like, why does it exist here, but other forms possibly couldn't on different areas to adapt in that same way? Was it that the the life that were was around these planets were not strong enough to live? And as much as it's uh, a nature versus nurture, it still comes back to the good and evil, but more shades of gray. How certain things are able to like humanity survive on planet earth or any other species that happens to survive on planet earth uh it's a it's a different concept when you start to look at it from that that overall idea and taking sword logic at its basest form uh because that it in even this the the shade of the darkness does in majestic majestic uh will state how it's more of this uh open open form uh it it is this uh, if I remember the quote uh, correctly without bringing up the card, uh, I just have to ask you this question. You know, can I blow up your planet? If I don't ask, somebody else will. <laughs> I don't know why you're complaining. It was signed in triplicate and it's been on. on... <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just it's just in the contract of the it's universe. In the, it's okay, in the contract of the universe. Gets one. Everyone yeah. gets one. You've Did... had 50 years to contest it and no one has. Did, didn't you get the memo? <laughs> thanks for all the fish <laughs> yes uh green go for it so okay guys i want you to realize i'm i've been playing devil's advocate 
Mm-hmm. No, she's things- really a hive apologist. No, I am not a hive apologist. I just want to make good conversation. And it would not be good conversation if everybody always agreed with Blue. Yes, so it would I be. Think it would be amazing. No, co- no, 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 it wouldn't. It would be it would. terribly sh- – well, it wouldn't be short. But it would, it would be not terribly, be short. Um, <laughs> something I do want to say is I don't think the hive in an, as a whole are evil. And the reason why I say this is from the Aot card where – and this is just quoted from the card. Zavathun asks if I am as much a slave of the deep as my taken. She asks what price I paid for my power. I am not taken. The hive is not the deep. The deep doesn't want everything to be the same. It wants life. Strong life. Life that lives free without the need for, the, for a habitat of games to in, insulate it from reality. When I make my Taken, I make them closer to perfect. I heal their wounds and enhance their strengths. This is inherently good, I add. The only right is existence. The only wrong is non-existence. Now, that is for, like, the hive Mm. as a whole. Mm. Now, the reason why I believe that Oryx and Zavathun, well... At least Oryx. I can't say Zabathun or Zivu Arath, mainly because we don't have any of their perspective. But as soon as Oryx has any sort of idea of regret in any of the cards, which I can't find the card where he talks about kind of questioning, which kind of almost leads to regret, that proves that Oryx knows that there is some other way. Mm-hmm. And in and of that, just that idea itself that proves that Oryx knows that what he's doing is possibly not right. Yep. That is my take. I can't prove it. Also, for the fact, also the fact that that entire definition can be so abused, like so abused. The definition of what the, the regret, the deep, like, the whole oh. like oh yeah well we're doing the right thing because we're making them more perfect i'm like oh oh there's so many historical connections to really really bad people that have made well, that exact argument paging dr moreau dr right. moreau not, not even no i'm talking about real people like the person who dr yeah like the person who the that thing, figure was I based like off dr of. moreau better here's, but yeah no, yeah here's my my feeling on that if the like i'm thinking from a sociopath perspective right not like i'm not like i'm a sociopath because i'm I'm not but from the perspective of a sociopath they do not realize what they are doing is wrong they do not they do not perceive it unless it's taught to them Mm -hmm. through conditioning and in and yes. of its, and even it's, even it's, then, you could argue it's not really right. So yeah. they don't they don't realize it because they don't have the capacity for empathetic connection. Correct. They can't have regret necessarily. Right. I mean, Which can, I would argue that it's, oh, it's Oryx is totally not because Oryx has shown that he has regret. Right. But we don't know that of Sabathun or Zebu Arath. Uh, I would, but, uh, also, but they have shown emotions on other states and the emotions like um yeah no the, i i i'll have to i, I have to agree I, yeah i have to agree with you on on both those yes it will be next week's topic and yes actually i i kind of have to agree that we haven't seen 
a strong empathetic Nas. connection from what I am aware of. Um, I mean, I, again, think about would... it. Where would the empathy come from though? Because the only real connection if, to, in order for empathy to be there, there's gotta be some sort of emotional anchor for them to be able to relate the experiences of someone else to themselves. And the only meaningful relationship that exists for the hive is themselves and their worm. I would say uh, we're going to be on Sivu? here. We'll be on this yeah. argument for like six yeah. hours. If you really want me to argue that. Right. That, Cause that, 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 that goes into, that goes into the foundational basis of the capability of emotional connection. I mean, that, that's a, mm. that's, that's a, it. that's a very, very large topic that even from its base, I would also look at something like uh, Teox or the Osmium King. We don't necessarily know how how derivative or connected they were to each other uh, as far as like, uh, you know, daughters of the Osmium King. But they were they were obviously fairly close uh, before Osmium King went completely nuts. Uh, right. But that would and- be the connection at the very least that I could see at least at a very base level without much to go by uh, just to pull that out there. Right. Anyway. And sorry, real quick trigger made a comment in chat. Yes. No sociopaths are not. Okay. A sociopath can They're have emotions. Either. Yeah. They are not emotionless. They have emotions. I am not saying that that's, that's actually why I'm agreeing with green sociopaths do not have the uh, arguably Empathy. do not have the capability of emotional connection or what's the emotional called. anchor yeah well what's commonly referred to as empathy which is basically the capability of emotionally placing yourself in another's presence and feeling what they and understanding that they are a valuable entity sociopaths tend to view others as nothing more than abstract pieces of a world that is all equal meanings to itself so basically they view other human beings as roughly as pieces of furniture. I mean, that's a very grossly oversimplified definition or, of it. Or images in a painting. Yes. Or yeah. Or even, yeah, there are, there are some who would describe it that way as well. Yeah. So yes, trigger trigger is correct on that. And to clarify that, that is, that is actually why I agreed with green on that is because. So um, also that sociopathic uh, kind of motif if you go back to the original flavor text of Thorn, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that sociopathic motif is is very present there. Is yes. and I'm gonna paraphrase here from memory, but it, it was to to rend one enemies just to see them as objects. Yes, uh, uh, it's it's literally they're they're not even living things at that point. They're Whoa. just and like they you said. A- yeah, abstract smudges. <laughs> and what what better way yeah. to make it easy to snuff something out of existence than to remove the empathetic connection to it? You see that a that lot. That seems quite evil. Oh yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, not going to rehart. We're not going to restart this conversation. Um, I, I do, do I do, I do want to just kind of in in regards to final thoughts, real quick. Uh, pins, pins actually said this earlier in chat as well, but the, the thing about, you know, my entire thought really can be summed up in that all that needs to be done for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. Um, 
so it it's really hard for me to see the the decisions of the hive as anything other than selfish um because at the base that is a very egocentrical approach to existence uh the sword logic in and of itself is 100 percent based on the individual proving their own right to exist um Whereas you see with the guardian and I've, and I actually, I think I did this on one of the YouTube videos that we actually, I actually did manage to get out, um, was the guardian and the guardian ranks in the fire team presentation is more of an, what's called an allocentric presentation of, of existence, which is you're focused on the other egocentrical is a focus on self, uh, hence the term egocentrical. Um, the hive promote and the darkness and the deep and whatever you want to, what other, whatever other word you want to use for that, that side of the fraction, um, that promotes an egocentrical point of view. Uh, whereas the high or the guardian fire team kind of promotes an allocentrical point of view because it focuses on the benefit of the group, the benefit of the other, even over the sense, even over the security and survivability of the self. Um, but yeah, so final, that's, that's kind of my final, final thought. Yes. And yes, green, actually, that is, yes. If you want it, if you want it, I'll, I'll tap out and let green kind of, uh, it's, it's just, we're getting to the point where we're going to start running super long, but, uh, the reason why we're allocentric and hive or egocentric, another way you can describe it is that we revive each other or we can be revived with the help of our ghost, whereas the hive cannot be revived or not brought back by each other. They're brought by by defining themselves, by having themselves defined through others' actions. Now, that sounds like it's kind of revival, but at the same time, it's very egocentric because it is the act of creating your own being again through what you are which sounds really weird coming out of my mouth, but I know what I mean in my head and I'm sure some of you know what I mean. So that's just my final point on what Blue was saying. Should we move on to shout outs? Shark cannon. Shark cannon? <laughs> yes, let's go to shout outs. Beard, what, what do you have for us this week? Uh, this week, it's just... Have fun with the new year, quite frankly. Uh, or we're, we're jumping into 2018 at this point. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a chance for new beginnings, but it's a chance to just have a different outlook on everything. Uh, to, Every day to is kind a chance for reflect. new beginnings. Absolutely. Every day is a chance to not suck as bad as we did yesterday. Did, did yesterday, absolutely. Uh, it, for some people, though, you need that that extra little push. Uh, sometimes that uh, that reset of the calendar uh, is a very good idea, uh, unless you're the Mayans, in which case it's a really bad idea. Anyway, the <laughs> just wait, just whole... wait a couple of years, it'll come back around. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're like, "Wait, new translation, you really screwed up." <laughs> oh, wait, wait, um, no curses. Yeah. Uh, friggin' that's math, we messed, got it wrong all the time. The Mayans were just up, so good at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, seriously. Uh, um, but no, uh, it, it's, if nothing else, like, like I said, some people need that extra little push to, uh, to go that last, uh, to go that last little mile to say, okay, 
now is enough. Now is enough to just go ahead and start reflecting on how I've been. Now is enough for me to go ahead and like take something different. Uh, and, and that's what I think my overall shout out is just here's the 2017. Let's go into 2018. Let's have a good freaking time with one another. Just, just, just start to think about like the, the next thing in, in what you want to do personally. Uh, and I, and I hope every single one of you are safe for the, uh, for at least live chat. Cause I don't know if this will go up in time, but, uh, at least safe for, for New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Day. Uh, don't get too drunk if you drink. Uh, please yeah, drink yeah, responsibly. Yeah. Please, please, Mr. Alcoholic Beverage over there. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I can't help but feel like this is some profiling. Uh, well, it's it would be even worse if you were a member of the Hive, so uh, just uh, just take that as it will. I'm... I accept your apology on behalf of olive-centric <laughs> all of us. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, 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 somebody play me off. Johnny, help! <laughs> Garth Brooks of Sorrow. Yeah, play me off! <laughs> anyway, uh, that's, that that's it for me. Yeah, that was the Beard of Destiny speaking. The official was- Beard of Destiny. That was oh. the the beard of destiny. Yes, uh, as I as I've so quickly myself. I don't know what's wrong with me anyway. Uh, no, no. Uh, also, everyone know if you're worried that there's a beard versus Justin thing happening, don't worry about it. Um, I'll win. Um, so don't, look, don't don't worry about it. Mommy and Daddy are just fighting. It'll it'll be better. It'll be better soon. Don't worry it, about it. Don't worry it about it. I'll it, win. Each each did it, Junior. Don't worry. Yes, yes. Um, we'll, we'll send you to bed early, and everything will be better in the morning. Okay, okay. <laughs> PJ. Sorry. No, uh, sorry. This is this is one of my um, you know this is one of my topics that I really love because um, someone can talk for ten minutes, and then someone can talk for fifteen minutes, and someone can talk for five minutes, and then mm-hmm. someone can talk for eight minutes, and then none of us are right. So <laughs> I love this. So, um, anyways, just big shout out to my to my fellow podcasters, and thank you for putting up with me and all the the baggage that goes with me and my and my well setup connection. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what setup? Um, I thought you were just so, using a couple of tin cans. <laughs> it, it's a it's a potato and three strands of copper. Um, <laughs> I thought I was the Irish one in the room. What is this? <laughs> oh, oh what? I thought you were going to scatter when I said coppers. Um, <laughs> no, Green, I was just going to say uh, green. <laughs> quick. No, no, I have one more before Green right, finish. All right, all right. Big shout out, big shout out um, to uh, Vegemite Wins in chat. Um, I've never been anyone's hero before. I'll try to do my best to not let you down, but spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> Wowie zowie. <laughs> Just like his internet connection, it may not go well. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Less than optimal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Green, what about yourself? 
My shout out goes to everybody new who's been joining us in Discord and mm. been tweeting at us online or just having conversation with, <clears throat> conversations with us in general. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on here are ideas that many of you bring up in chat. And it is something that allows us to just expand upon it. Your Some of the best ideas that I've learned about Destiny does not come from these three jokers over here. It comes from you guys. Not that these three jokers over here are That's bad a fair guys. They're, they're, they're smart. They're smart. But I, not, I discover new things. I, I discover new things about the game and the story every day because we get into these debates in lore chat or spin foil, which has been kind of my new favorite place to hang out, which seems mm. really odd. I know. I cannot wait for tomorrow. We're going to just have <laughs> a grand old time. And I still think Anna needs to be there so <laughs> she can blow <laughs> Justin's mind with the milk and the, in the, anyway, it's PG, not PG, but you know. Or, or her assessment of Zer. Uh-huh. Oh my but, God. My shout out goes to all of you guys, our, our listeners, our friends in chat, our little community of family members here. And quite frankly, from Beard's family in his Discord chat, I kind of lurk over there more than anything, mm-hmm. which is fun. I, I try to lurk in Bifes or Mylans. It, it moves too fast for me. Yeah, I can't keep up, but... There, yeah, there is a point where a community just gets too large, like I've, um, I'm suffering with right now, and it's just so hard to keep up with every comment. So yeah, hard. It is. But you guys what are what makes this fun and a good learning experience for me. Beard? Or blue? All the B names. All the B names. Too many... <clears throat> um. No, I, I, and I'm going to echo green on that one. Like, I, I really appreciate the chance to get a, an excuse to talk about some of this stuff because otherwise you would not believe how much rattles around in my head. And so this gives me an outlet for a lot of that, those thoughts. And I really appreciate it. Um, the so other- does Ben. Mm-hmm. So does Ben. Ben, a lot, it gives Ben a break because Ben mm-hmm. doesn't care. Yeah, Ben, ben doesn't needs- care. He, he, run, like he runs like Yeah, he he that is a very accurate assessment of him, actually. He <laughs> runs fa- he runs face first into a danger and then realizes that he's in over his head because I've been stuck looking at something in a strike. And then he just yeah. doesn't give a F. Yeah, he he doesn't. Um I love him for it. But yeah, so next next week we're actually gonna have a double episode. Uh so we're gonna probably kill Beard with hype. Because we are going to be doing the extra lore on Dead Space. And then we are actually going to be con- kind of continuing this conversation a bit and doing another debate on the Hive siblings. Um, also, for everyone, I know you will probably, it will probably be too late this month if you are listening to this to, and you don't jump into the Spinfoil Saturday stream. Um, I'm going to try to record that. I don't know how it's going to go. Honestly, I don't really know what I'm going to do with the recording. I might upload it. I'm going to break it. We yeah. should do it on YouTube. We should do it on YouTube. YouTube since yeah, we're we'll going to play. Yeah, we'll figure I'll out break something. It. We'll figure out something um, to do with it. But we will record it, um, and we're going to start trying to do that every month. Uh, the theory is doing that on the last Saturday of each. Ah, uh-huh. the theory. The theory, yeah, yeah. 
It depends on if Justin decides to show up or not, ultimately. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing? Nothing? He might have muted himself. He might have muted himself. As soon as you... Uh, (laughs) So now he has to go through all those (laughs) memes to unmute himself. (laughs) 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 But yeah, they said it's so easy a caveman could do it. Apparently a Justin can't. (laughs) (laughs) So with all that, um, like, like I said, next week we'll be doing the Hive Siblings and Dead Space um love to hear any thoughts or questions if you're not in the discord you know you feel free to shoot us a tweet over on twitter or also email us um that's honestly the best way to get a hold of us is if not through discord but yeah so let's run through outro and then we will probably stick around for a little bit of an after show with that we'll begin to wrap the chat up Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our other sites can also be found with our episode archives over on the new focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any questions or comments for our team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing podcast partners within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.